Hello, and welcome back to Conversations with Claire. Today, my guest is one that comes from a bit of like, I guess I'd say a vertical that's outside of what we're used to. We deal with all these fitness people, but don't get me wrong. Fitness is a big part of his life, but it's not his primary shtick. Uh, so it is Spencer Corson. He is a best-selling author, nationally recognized threat management expert, security consultant, protective strategist, expert witness, technical advisor, angel investor, public speaker, podcast host, veteran himself, and veteran advocate. Uh, so he also, his podcast is called Corson's Corner. And on that, he talks about a plethora of topics, including safety traps, which we'll get into that later, relationships, therapy, self-defense, PTSD, business, workouts, healthy living, news, media, sports, veterans affairs, and more. So like we got options, like good luck getting bored during this with all of the topics this guy likes to talk about. So uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. You just <laughs> made me sound like a walking billboard for attention deficit disorder <laughs> with all the different pillars. I was like, wow, I really do all of those things, don't I? I yeah. So. I almost, so of course I pulled this directly from your website and I almost was like, I'm just going to nix half of it. But then I was also like, no, actually... He's very multifaceted and it's out like I like it. So we're just, no, we're going to leave it in. So the way that I like to start is just straight up by saying how we met. And I like to throw it on you to give your organic, uh, what is it? The ver version of how we met. So how, how did we meet? How do you, I met you at Collective mm -hmm. when you were training Cody. Mm -hmm. Cody's a friend. Her husband, Chris, is a friend. Mm -hmm. I was training with Kelly and I think it was Cody introduced us. Yeah. She, she does a really good job of that. She, Cody is a, a brilliant networker. Yes. A brilliant networker. Yes, she is. Um, so that was, what, a year ago? Yeah. Give or uh, take? Yeah, I was there from October to March of this year. So sometime within, yeah, it would have been right around a year right. ago. Right. And then we've been like following each other on mm -hmm. socials, kind of like mm -hmm. keeping, keeping up with each other. And mm -hmm. then um, I just relaunched my podcast for season two. Mm -hmm. And you were one of the first people. Like when we, when Lauren and I put together, our, Lauren is my head of operations, Lauren Brown. She's I put, awesome. I literally, uh, I, I, my name is on the marquee, but I work for her, is what I like to, <laughs> is what I like to say. That's awesome. Um, we put together like the top 25 people we wanted to have on for, for season two. And I think you were in the top 10 for sure. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's Austin has so many places that are such great connectors. Like there's people who behave as great connectors, such as Cody. And then there's also just, it's so cool. Like for example, at the end of our podcast last week for your podcast, I think I sent six different profiles, just boom, 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 boom right. to Lauren about like, here's all these people that I would recommend that are here, local, have them in person. You know, it's so crazy. Well, especially because everyone is now here in Austin. Really? Yeah. So it's rather convenient. That's why we can come to my, we can sit on the couch and just hang out and it's, and I love it. Okay. So, so that's how we met. I'm going to go straight to, I want to, I, there's a lot of content out there of you talking about threat management, security, you know, even just situational awareness, just an, a moderate amount. So, so I think a lot of that stuff is already out there and available. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think we're going to spend a ton of time there today. Cause right. I think if they want more of that of you, it's available. It's readily available. Uh, so we're going a different direction. And so, but I do want to start with, so you sat on your podcast when we were together and then I listened to some of your stuff this morning and like being a protector, 
was always very important to you. And so I do want to go back to, like, just give me a bit of context for your upbringing. Let's start there. Yeah. Well, so it's, it's funny because the very first line in my book is being a protector is a, is a craft I've honed my entire life. Mm -hmm. And that's literally true. Since the time I was six years old, I have been honing that skill set over the course of my entire life. It was not something I particularly chose as much it was something that was bestowed upon me. Mm -hmm. My parents got divorced when I was six years old. Mm -hmm. um, I have three younger sisters. Uh, I, am the, I like to say I'm the successful son of a single mother. But when I was six years old, I came downstairs and one of my favorite things to do when my parents were together is, is, was kind of like jump in between their arms and they would kind of like catch me and it was this like big thing we did. So one day I'm upstairs in my bedroom, I'm playing with my Legos and I hear, uh, I hear my biological father come home and uh, he and my mom are downstairs so I drop what I'm doing, I go downstairs and as I'm like coming down the steps, I realize that they're not hugging, they're fighting. Mm. And um, I'm kind of like hiding behind like the stairwell banister like trying to shield myself from whatever trauma is about to be bestowed upon me. And um, he turns around to walk away. I said, Dad, don't go. He looks, looks back, walks out the door, shuts the door uh, behind me. In my head, my grandfather comes over like right away. I don't know if it was like the next day or the next week or what, but it was like almost immediately. My next core memory is my grandfather coming over and him telling me, you're the man of the house, now it's your job to look after and protect your mother and your sisters. Now I'm sure when he said that, he kind of was kind of like, kind of giving me the old like grand, he was a World War II vet, I idolized him my entire life. Mm. He was, um, he, all four of my grandparents were in World War II. None of my aunts and uncles were. So he kind of is the one that like took me under his wing about acts of service and patriotism and, and, you know, kind of serving your country is an honorable profession. And no matter what you do for the rest of your life after that, you'll always have that to, to build upon. Mm. But at six years old, I didn't really know what a protector was or what it meant to keep people safe. So while a lot of my friends of that age were watching TV for entertainment, I was watching it for research. So I was watching shows like Knight Rider, The A-Team, James Bond, Mission Impossible, The Lone Ranger, Kung Fu. And what all of those shows, of course, have in common was they were good people who helped, good people who helped uh, make bad things better. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like become like the tagline of, of my business is I help good people make bad things better. Mm. And uh, over the course of my entire life, that is just something that has really spoken to me as like the essence of my core and my character is that I am anti-bullying, I am a protector of, of the weak, I am a defender of, of, of those who can't defend themselves, and I've kind of just adopted that warrior ethos mm -hmm. um, ever since. Yeah, and you now have written a book, which your first book is out. You're currently working on second, but your first book is out, and apparently it's going well, which is really it's cool. Doing, it's doing really well, which is, which is a lot of fun. It's called The Safety Trap. Yeah. And it's called The Safety Trap because sometimes feeling safe is the most dangerous thing we do. Right, right. And that was, I think, what's cool is, you know, you're saying, I help good people, and then I'm kind of the protector, et cetera, but yet you've chosen then to also write a book with the idea behind it. I have not read the book. You brought it today. I'm excited to. I love reading, by the way, so this is great for me. Excellent. Uh, but you've chosen then to not only be a person who can help a person, 
whether it's your own physical, you know, your your ability to use a weapon or whatever. But mm. now you are, you know, going and showing up in these cases and and all of the things that you do. But now you're trying to equip them from a different angle and saying, hey, I've become empowered in this way. Uh, I would like for you to not be reliant on me for your empowerment. So here's another tool and maybe you can learn some skills so that maybe you don't need me to protect you because you can protect you. Yeah, no, it's, it's very true. And it's interesting how it all kind of comes full circle. When you're writing a book, they always say, like, don't write to the curve, right? If you try to appease to everyone, you'll, you'll, you'll appeal to no one. Yeah. Identify, like, your, your, your ideal um, customer. Mm-hmm. And my ideal customer was six-year-old me. Mm. What was because when I, I didn't know how to be a protector, I didn't know how to succeed in staying safe. I didn't know how you know, what threats were, how to manage them, or how to look for them. Or and so when I was writing the book, what I did was I kind of went through all of my uh, field notes. I was in the military for for a bunch of years, then I worked for the government for a bunch of years, then I jumped over to the private sector and kind of did like the celebrity side of the house for a while. So I had a skill set that was was military influence that was government influence was private sector influence and it was kind of allowed me to tailor my whatever your concern was i had a a a broad spectrum of experience that i could kind of tailor your solution to your specific concern Mm -hmm. and so when i was going through all of my field notes and i saw all of these I, i wanted to see if i could find a common denominator between all of my clients and all of their concerns and all of their threats that kind of Here's what happened. Here's how it was allowed to happen. Here's how you can keep it from happening to you. Mm-hmm. And so those were things like overconfidence or false equivalence or being too polite. And what really, I think, helped to make the book a success is that it's kind of like why people like true crime or why people like, uh, like murder mysteries or why people like because it's like, oh, I'm, I'm watching this so that I can identify myself the pre-incident indicators that allowed that concern to, to uh, escalate into reality yeah. so that I can put the safeguards in place to keep that risk from becoming a reality to me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's resonated quite well. I'm excited to, yeah, this is, this is going to be a fun read for me. Well, of course, as much as I'm, I'm like, we're not going that direction, you know, then I also do just, so you were thinking about six-year-old you, you know, and I'm looking at it from the lens of female who has a tendency to carry more fear than the average male because could be victim. Right. And that's right. like the, the narrative in some form or fashion that most women carry, you know? So the idea that even if you wrote this book, ultimately for six year old version of you, I would imagine that it probably says a lot of things that could speak to the person I'm thinking of, which is just a past version of myself. And don't get me wrong, I'm still working diligently on picking up more skills to be more capable. But uh, the idea that they could read this and then become slightly more empowered, because that's what I'm doing with fitness, you know, is how can you build some trust in your body, which I know you talk about why this is such an important part of the whole be safe Thing. Right. And I, and I think it's an interesting parallel between our two professions. I would always say, you know, most people will never know the luxury of having their own protective detail. 
right, to help, like, to take care of the threats or to get them to ensure their certainty of safety in getting from point A to point B, or to make sure that their property, their home is not getting broken into, or to make sure that if they're traveling, they're traveling in the, in the safest way possible. Mm -hmm. Whereas, I'm sure with you, like, a lot of people can't afford a personal trainer, or they can't afford one-on-one -on -one coaching, or they can't afford this. But much like everyone deserves to be protected, mm -hmm. everyone deserves to live a, a healthy, dynamic lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And what you and I have both been able to do with your online work and with me writing the book is kind of remove ourselves from only offering that service to like the top 1% mm -hmm. and making it readily available to the masses um, with the same level of commitment, commitment, discipline, and insight that we provide uh, to our one-on-one -on -one clientele. I think it's such a big one when you say, you know, most people realistically will not have the budget or the need or whatever to, you know, they just simply will not be able to have a security detail. Then I also think about the individual who does have the security detail. And I wonder, maybe they feel very secure when they're very surrounded by this thing. But then also, what happens if when they're not surrounded? Are they then terrified? You know, anxiety is a very interesting thing. And it's, it's if it's in your brain, it's quite real. And so that makes me think of even if I'm someone who can afford that, I still want to polish my own skill mm -hmm. because as much as I want to be able to rely on that if I need it, I also would love to be able to rely upon myself. So then take and apply that to the fitness thing. And, and just that what you said is so true. I'm looking at this and what I tell my clients is I'm like, no, 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 no. Like I'm a tool to go ahead and use today. But the idea is that we get however far into this thing and you listen to what I say to you and why I'm telling you why we're doing what we're doing because I'm telling you why I'm not just telling you to do something right. I'm telling you why you're doing it and we're not saying that so that I can hear myself speak I want you to remember that so that if I disappear from your life you have the like you have the tools to learn the thing yourself mm -hmm. and so you don't need me to look this up for you I've done it already this time so I'm going to share it but you don't need me I'm a cool tool that you can use right now right and yeah and I the really best protectors are very much like the very best coaches or the very best teachers yeah. or the very best of, of anything, which is they leave you better than they found you. Yeah. So if it's on the safety side and I'm talking about, um, let's say a public, like public fig, like if George Clooney wakes up tomorrow morning and gets a craving for Starbucks and wants to go to Starbucks and get himself a latte. Uh -huh. He can ride his motorcycle to the local Starbucks, get himself a latte, and, and really probably will be able to do that no problem. What he can't do is every Saturday at 10.30 get the same latte from the same Starbucks because then the public has a, an expectation of his participation in a public event, right? So when we say to him, hey, this is why we're sending an advance out there because you are secure at home. We want to make sure that you're going from secure to secure. That's, that's kind of why we're doing this. Yeah. Much like when you're personal training and you want to say, hey, when you're doing this with low weight, we want to make sure that you have the correct form mm. because if you're just cheating your way with the lower weight, you're going to hurt yourself when you get to the higher weight. Sure. So explaining not just what you're doing, but why you're doing it and how you're doing it. And, and like I work out with Kelly a couple times a week and she's always like, you know, make sure you, you tuck your hips and make sure you, you straighten your back, make sure you're, you're clenching your glutes because when you're doing it at lower weight mm -hmm. and you're not doing it, at, it's, it's, it's fundamentals, it's yep. building blocks, yep. it's, it's, um, it's cumulative. Mm -hmm. And you want to make sure whether it's on a safety side or a personal fitness side or a nutrition side or just a, a dating side 
that you are not making the same mistakes on day one, or you're not making the same mistakes on day 20 as you are on day one. We want totally. to, uh, you to understand the framework, the building blocks, the step-by-step -step process, so that whatever you're doing, when you do decide that you don't need us, or you, or you don't want us, or, or what have you, yeah. the deliverable that you have received was more than just the time we spent together, it was the outlook and the experience and the education that you received during our time together. Yeah, it, I'm over here grinning and laughing because I'm like, my poor clients deal with a lot and then I'll, I'll leave this back, but it just makes me think of, yeah, there was a guy that walked by the other day and I'm working with a client and he was like, you're pretty bossy. It's <laughs> like, yeah, you know, but I can think of other like instances where someone will pick something up in a way where it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. if that were more loaded or whatever. And I literally just, be like, what are you doing? Put it down, pick it, think of it. Pick that back up, but think about what you're doing, you know? Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> or I, I can't even tell you, like, how many times – I'll give you a perfect example. I was doing, like, bent over rows mm -hmm. one day. And I've been doing bent over rows since I was, like, 14 in, like, middle school, my first time, right? Yeah. You, you bend over, you, you kneel, you grab the weight, you pull it up, and you put it down. You pull it up, you pull it down. Yeah. And I was like, what are you doing? I was like, bent over rows. She's like, no, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. And she's like, kind of take the weight and like lift it up, but like don't bring it up to your chest, like put it in your pocket. Mm -hmm. And like that little cue, I was like, oh. Yeah. And like you just immediately feel the engagement. You, and I was like, but like that little Attention. teachable moment yeah. was just had ripple effects totally. like, for the next several years. Totally. And then so then to take that and apply that to your world, which I, you know, I'm not going to pretend to fully understand, but I'm thinking about the concept of, you know, defaulting to your training and this whole idea that people would love to believe that maybe whenever a situation occurs that they'll somehow be able to behave in a way that's going to be useful. Yeah, and if they have no training for that, the reality of it is that's not how that's going to go. And so defaulting to your training. So whether right. it's pick up the barbell safely or what happens if I'll give you a perfect parallel to a safety, personal safety dynamic that everyone can apply today. Yeah. The number one place where women are targeted, uh, for muggings is parking lots. And why? It's because parking lots are inherent transition zones. So when we go shopping, like if we're leaving Whole Foods or HEB or whatever grocery store we go to, as soon as we leave that store and we're walking to our car, we have a tendency to either reflect back to what we just did or project forward to what we're about to do. Am I running late? Which route am I gonna take? Am I late for dinner? Do I have anything after this? Blah, blah, blah. Or did I remember everything? Did I forget to get this? Did I forget to get that? And as we're in that transition zone, we're not in the present, we're not in the now, mm -hmm. which means our, our vigilance is lower, which means our risk is up. And so when you see someone who's um, you know, walking with 100 bags in their hand because you know, they don't want to make a second trip or they are on their never. phone. or Oh, uh, the, the, the best <laughs> time to target someone is in the parking lot after they've parked, yeah. going into the back seat, getting a hundred bags out of their hand and carrying those last two bags with their pinky finger, mm -hmm. waddling their way to the front door because mm -hmm. you are completely vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. But which would you rather do? Make one more trip and be, and, and, and escalate your level of safety because your vigilance will be higher. Yeah. Or are you so busy and so committed to the tyranny of the urgency that you will you will literally increase your risk just to save yourself that extra two, three minutes of, of, back and forth time. Yeah. 
Well, and that makes me think of just the situational awareness, you know, of, of course, something as simple as, and I'm not saying anything revolutionary that we haven't heard already, but like, am I just in my phone? You know, even if it's not, I'm carrying bags. Mm -hmm. And so now my limbs are actually occupied with things, but even just walking, you know, wherever, say we're still walking in and out of the store, we don't have all the bags, but we're still just like, do we even know what's going on around us? And the sad reality is for the most part, most people, most often the answer is no. And I'm not going to pretend to be perfect on that front at all, but I definitely have this healthy level of like, I do not, if I do not know you, I do not trust you. Mm -hmm. And so um, I try very diligently to be aware of where everyone around me is. And if you're behaving like a strange individual, I mean, even just something as simple as some people having some interesting bags at a, I go to church, right. And they had some interesting bags on yesterday in church. And I was like, wait, what's in your, why do you have that bag? You know, mm-hmm. and not that there's anything wrong, but I'm just paying attention. Right. If all most people really need to succeed in staying safe, a healthy sense of skepticism yeah. and a moderate dose of vigilance. Yeah. Not hypervigilant where your head's always on a swivel, like mm-hmm. looking all over the place, but just be like, that doesn't look right. right. You know, understanding what the behavioral normalcy is so that the behavioral anomalies become much more apparent. Mm-hmm. Because if you can pick those out, Sometimes though that extra just two, three, four, five seconds, if something should happen, you're already ahead of the game mm-hmm. and you can, you know, have a plan, know where to go, know how to get there. Yeah. You love the part where I was like, we're not going there. And then what do I do? Let's go there. Uh, <laughs> okay. So I do want to ask you, this was something that you, to round out this potentially, we'll say, watch me come back. But, uh, you asked me a question on your podcast that I thought was an interesting question and I'm curious what your answer to it is and I'm not going to get it verbatim correct, but you'll know what it was. It was something to the effect of what is the minimum expectation of someone to have like physical fitness wise or something Mm, like that when it comes to being able to defend oneself uh, or just, you know, what, what is the minimum level of requirement there? And I know what my answer was, but I'm curious what yours would be. I would say, Base level fitness is you should be able to deadlift your body weight. Okay. You should be able to do at least one pull-up. You should be able to do at least 10 push-ups. And you should be able to run as fast as you can for 50 meters or half a football field. Yeah. I think if you can do those, was that four things? Yes. One one pull-up, deadlift your body weight, 10 push-ups. And run. Your ability to run, jump, lift, pull will ensure your certainty of safety in almost pretty much every circumstance. Yeah. Because, and the reason I say that is because when I was writing the book and I was researching, I have a whole chapter on the safety trap of physical fitness, is you don't want your first time being uncomfortable to be in a life and death situation. Mm. You want to have all, regardless of what your level of fitness is, regardless of what you can do today, anytime you are doing something today to make yourself better than yesterday, even if it's just 1% better, Mm. even if it's just getting a little bit outside your comfort zone, even if it's just getting your heart rate up just a little bit more than it was yesterday, Mm -hmm. will increase what's known as like, everyone's very familiar with intelligence quotient, emotional quotient, your intellect, in your emotional intelligence. Yeah, but there's IQ, also EQ. An, IQ and EQ, exactly. But yeah. there's also AQ, which is your adversity quotient. And what an adversity quotient means is that when, how often and how comfortable, how often and how comfortable you are being in an adverse condition where something wasn't expected, where something wasn't 
going to plan, where something wasn't what you thought it would be. The military would do this all the time. They would like, all right, we're going to go do like a 12-mile force march. And then at the end of the 12-mile force march, they'd be like, okay, you just got to the fight. Now you've got to fight. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Because if you had exhausted yourself, and, and most people don't realize just how smart, strong, capable they are mm-hmm. until they've had to push themselves past the point of comfort. Mm-hmm. And the more you in every day can do something that's hard, can do something that's uncomfortable, can do something that will increase that adversity quotient, the higher, the more you will promote your own protective posture, which will make you less likely to be targeted by those who wish to do harm because much like lions hunting gazelles in the wild, they don't target the, the strongest of the herd, they look for the weakest. Sure. You will also carry yourself in a, in a much more positive, prom, you know, promotive fashion, but you will also have that quiet confidence to know that if you should be confronted or find yourself in an adverse uh, dynamic, that you have it within you to negotiate that obstacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. I, uh, <clears throat> it's your response, you have very clear for identifiable things. <laughs> and then it's also exactly where, and, but then you said 1% better. And what did I say on yours? 1% better. So, right. Yeah, so I think it, 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 no, it simply just, it spoke to the whole, like the coaches, you know, the perspective today of like, well, we just have to get better, you know, and this uh, optimistic perspective of like, well, it just needs to be better than it is today, which in fact is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like that you also gave the specific, well, here's what I think. Here are some things to actually strive towards, which having specific goals is quite useful. Right. Could my mother right now get on the floor and do 10 pushups? No. But could I work with my mom for the next six to 12 weeks to get her to the point where she could? Absolutely. Yeah. We all have that potential. Right. It's just how, how comfortable are we being uncomfortable during that process to get us back to the point where that's our new comfort level? Totally. Yep. This also just makes me think of a funny story I just told the other day, <clears throat> which was uh, last December... I was doing a, I got to do a photo shoot for 511 and it was with Tim. Uh, cool. And yeah, it was super cool. Tim Kennedy. And yeah, and it was our first like time hanging out, right? And uh, so of course I have tremendous amounts of respect for this individual. I had not mm-hmm. met him previously. Now he's, you know, a, a friend and is just as good of a human off the internet as he is on. And I love what he's doing. Uh, that that self-defense course is what got me into BJJ. Which uh, the don't sheep, get the me yeah. Yes, and that'll come later. Great but anyway, course. so I, this whole adversity thing, it makes me think of this where, so we did in December, it's a photo shoot and I'm in the, like for 5.11, they have a uh, gear that's for the gym, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm there to wear. And it's December and it just so happens to be very cold. And it's so cold, but we're outdoors and I need to look sweaty for this thing. So for hours on end, uh, I'm just being like someone's coming over with a water bottle and just spraying, hosing me down Mm -hmm. to keep me nice and perspirated. And it was just a funny experience of like, I grew up hating being cold and I still don't enjoy being cold, but thank goodness I have done so much cold therapy Mm -hmm. and, and just choosing to stick myself in that freaking cold plunge every single, you know, I've done so much of it to the point where it was like, I'm so grateful that whenever that day came and I needed to do that thing that I didn't have to sit. And this is something simple. My life is not in danger here whatsoever. And yet I'm able to show up, do the job well and not complain about it because I've had enough exposure to this thing that it's like, yeah, do I love this? No, 
but do I love y'all and what you're up to? And I'm glad to be here. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Spray me down, you right. know? Exactly. <laughs> and so yeah. it kind of, an, anyway. Okay. So you are writing your second book, which is your safety trap in yeah, regards. I'm re- yeah. I'm writing two new books. The first one is a follow-up to the safety trap, which is safety traps of relationships. That one. Misconceptions about. Um, ourselves can kind of sabotage our success in getting what we need and want. Uh-huh. And then the second book is uh, right now titled uh, Winning the War Within, um, CBT, PTSD, Assistive Therapy, and Me. And it's basically my personal journey of going from thriving to surviving. Surviving to thriving. Surviving to thriving. There we go. Yep. That's a thriving to survive. You did, but we got I mean, it. We got it. You know what I meant. Yep. Got it. I'm a much uh, better writer than I am public speaker. <laughs> no, you're doing great. Uh, so I want to ask you, when did you start to, because I'm thrilled that you're doing this and I want to know when did you become open to therapeutic methods? When did you recognize for self, huh? Okay. Six years old, I'm told to be the protector. Now I'm learning how to be the protector. Now I'm in the military. Now I'm doing all these different private sector, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I am the protector. And so it's building all of this physical fitness and all of these different tools that you can use to protect self. Mm-hmm. And yet you found that there was something else awry and that you needed to look at some other methods. I think it's incredibly powerful to heal from a, hear from a masculine man why you chose to be open to therapy. So I have a bunch of questions in regards to therapy. Sure. So... I wrote my first suicide note when I was 10 years old. In that vein of being a protector and looking after my sisters and, and, and trying to protect my family, um, we were very poor, like church bringing food to the house poor. And I would lay in bed and uh, in, from where my bedroom window was, I could see reflected in the neighbor's window, uh, our third floor where uh, my mom had like her sewing machine and and uh, her bedroom was, and I would watch her. I would hear her crying one floor above me, but I would watch her crying in the reflection of the mirror because she was so heartbroken about our our dire circumstances and she was literally making my sister's clothes. And I just had this thought in my head one day, well, oh, okay, if it's my job to do what's best for them, if I take myself out of the equation, that will provide more money, resources, time that my mom can dedicate to my sisters. Like, I'll just take myself out of the equation. It'll be better for them. That'll be fine. So I was going to throw myself out my bedroom window, and I was going to try to impale myself. But the, the, the fence that separated our neighbors it was like a, a wood fence, but it had these, like, tiers. And on the top of the tiers, it had this, like, decorative, like, wood, um, almost like a, a curvature that came up to a point, almost like a, not a lotus, but some kind of, like, a... Uh, like almost like a tulip that hadn't blossomed yet. Okay. It just kind of like came up to like almost like just a teardrop. Uh-huh. And I was going to try to jump out my window to land. land on that point so that it would impale me and I'd kill myself. I was going to do it on a Sunday because why ruin a weekend? Um, and so I wrote a note and then wrote a suicide note and the window I was going to jump out had this like ledge, this little like box seating thing that had this cushion on it and I put the note under the cushion uh, of the window. Random Sunday night dinner at my grandparents. My uncles are talking about something, and they're telling a story about a guy who was was uh, jumping out of a plane, and his chute didn't open, and then he landed, but he didn't die. He just got, like, really injured. And so I was thinking, oh, well, shit, well, what if I don't kill myself? What if I just get really hurt? It'd almost make things worse for my family, so i got to come up with a different way. Mm. Um, 
couple weeks go by, I forget about that note being under there. My aunt's over at the house, helping my mom clean, finds the note. They come to the school, it's this whole big thing. I can't come back until I talk with the therapist. The therapist was awful, awful. At 10, 12 years old, however it was at the time, mm -hmm. was already smart of this guy. And was smart enough to tell him what he wanted to hear, was crafty enough to act remorseful and, and thoughtful. But really all I got out of that dynamic was, um, next time don't leave a note. Next time just do it. So that, from that point, through most of my life, I lived with suicidal ideation. It was, there was always something I, uh, that was an option. Hey, no matter what, you can always take yourself out. And so, kind of, as it was like going through adolescence, that got worse and worse, and we wound up, my mom wound up meeting a, a, a really great guy who actually wound up being my elementary school uh, gym teacher. Hmm. My mom ran daycare. Out of, my mom had a, a master's degree in speech pathology. She could have gone off and like gotten you know, a, a six-figure, but she like wanted to be home with us as we were growing up. So she ran daycare out of the house. My mom was pregnant with my youngest sister when Frank left. So my mom ran daycare out of the house until my youngest sister was, able to go, was old enough to go to kindergarten. Then she got a job in our school district as that school district speech pathologist so that she could be on her same schedule. Mm. Well, at that school, uh, Sam Corson, who wound up adopting me and whose name I now carry, mm. his wife had recently died of cancer. So the two of them met and they got married and he, he's the one who kind of mentored me into what it meant to be a man. But seventh and eighth grade, I'm like 14, 15 years old. I'm kind of like, you know, doing this like angst thing. And he's like, hey man, like what's going on? And there's a lot of stuff going on with just a lot of shit. Being a young male is extremely hard. I just went on a few day road, or a few, few, few day, a one day road trip, but a few hours in the car, both directions, whatever, with a few males right. who we got to talk about at length their experiences through school growing up. And I'm like, oh my, it is not easy for y'all. No. Anyway, go ahead. No. I just but have yeah, a lot of I mean, like, I mean, it was, but I was, I was bad enough that. Had there been school shootings back then, like I would have been one. I would have found a way because, and I do, this is why I think I'm so passionate about like school violence and active shooters in school districts now is because like I can identify yeah. with those kids. Like they're going through trauma. They don't have anyone who's listening out for them. The, they act out because they don't have the emotional intelligence to ask for help. Yeah. That when they do act out, it's punitive. So they're put in detention. Hey, just sit here and be quiet. So because no, we don't want to have to deal with you either. And what you're really hearing when those gunshot when those gunshots ring out is, can you hear can me you now? Can you hear me now? Right. And it's it's disheartening. Right. But my my um, so what if you hear me say my dad moving forward? I mean my. You're referring to yeah. Because mm -hmm. we don't like, he was my dad. I was his son. Yeah. And that was our our dynamic. Yeah. But he was like, I want you to talk to someone. And my dad was an Olympic wrestler. He he was a. a, a my dad's been in like my dad was an amazing wrestler, and he was an even better coach. So he's in like the New Jersey Hall of Fame, the National Hall of Fame, the Olympic Hall of Fame, he's done it all. Dude, heck and yeah. And so one of the guys that was on one of his uh, wrestling teams uh, was a sports psychologist. So he had me go and talk to his, John Diopold. I don't know if he's still out there, but that man, at that point in my time, saved my life. Wow. But he was a sports psychologist. And what I didn't realize at the time that he was really just teaching me compartmentalization. This is bad, we're gonna take this, we're gonna put it in a box, right? 
So, but I had a pretty happy high school life. I had a pretty good like college life. But there was that, the ideation was there, but my life was going in a pretty good direction. Mm-hmm. Um, sophomore year of college, I read a book by Tom Clancy called Without Remorse, which kind of reawakened this protector uh, fire mm-hmm. that was in my belly. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Secret Service, and FBI, and CIA, and Navy SEALs, and Rangers, and all. I was like, whoa, this is it. This yeah. is what I want to do. Purpose. Um, but, you know, I joined in 1999. There's nothing going on in the world, so it was a real easy... They were like, I wanted to go work for the Secret Service. You needed three years post-collegiate experience. They were going to give me the weapons and tactics and the training I needed to, to make that transition. So, like, five blocks and three weeks later, I'm in the Army. Mm-hmm. And the Army's really good also at teaching you how to compartmentalize right you know you're on an op and your buddy gets killed or whatever and you, you push that down you flatten it out yeah they all, need you to do a job right but it's also you're not just like lose you're not just it's not just the the friends who died it's also like you also missed your mom's retirement or your sister's wedding or your dad's retirement or your best friend's this or pushing it down and so i knew i had ptsd and I knew that my drinking was getting worse and that my avoidance was getting higher and that my, uh, my self-respect and my love for myself wasn't what it should be. And then the re- when the withdrawal to Afghanistan went to shit, my survivor guilt kicked in. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, so they all died for nothing? Well, what am I doing here? And... I was drinking a lot, and I was really depressed. And then uh, I was in a, I was in a relationship that I sabotaged just because I. The only thing she was guilty of was loving a man who didn't have it within within him to love himself. Yep. And then COVID happened, and then and then the withdrawal of Afghanistan went to shit, and it was just like this, 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 and then. Um, I, really started uh, what you would call um, like not a pre like in, in threat management we would call it like a pre-incident indicator but in psychology I think they call it like preparatory behavior yeah and so I knew I was gonna blow my head off yeah so I was like okay well can I put a gun in my mouth I was like well actors do it okay so I unloaded my weapon right yeah I can put a gun in my mouth okay well can I do it loaded and so I have a service dog, and I would put my service dog in the, in the crate when I would do this. Um, because I knew I wasn't going to do it as preparatory behavior, right? So it was just, can I do it? But I don't want him to get in the way of me doing it, so... Um, and then, okay, so I can do it. And a couple of days later, something else would trigger me. I'd be drinking too much. And there were nights where I would be just, like, on my knees, like, banshee crying. Like, I am so sorry. I am sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And just, like, just... Banshee crying, screaming to the world that how sorry I was mm-hmm. that I was still alive because mm. I didn't deserve it. Yeah. Um, and then um, one night it, it got it got really bad and I got really drunk and uh, without even thinking I, I picked up my gun with my left hand and put it and put it up to my face and then with my right hand I was going to film it. Because I wanted people to know it's like it's the strong ones you need to reach out for. It's the you know it's the, it's the quiet strong ones. And uh, but I realized I had it on photo, so I put it down and then picked it back up and put it on video, 
And as I started recording the video and started bringing the gun up to my mouth, my dog running laid across my arm to stop me from doing it. The very next day, I'm on TV talking about how it's the strong ones you need to reach out to. It's, 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 it's the quiet, stoic ones that are, that are screaming for help, that won't ask for help because... And here's the thing. It's like, there were a hundred people I could call that I knew would take the call. Yes. But I didn't know a single person who, was, who had ever been in the depths of my despair. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anyone that could... I didn't have the, the faith or the confidence or the belief that anyone could help me or understand where I was in that moment. Um... But so there I am on TV, and my sister sees Ronan laying across my feet. And so she, my sister's a psychologist at the Naval Academy. Who oh, works wow. With PTSD. Oh, wow. Patients. Well, I, I want to pause you for just a moment because what you've just told so far up to this point is absolutely traumatic. Um, and when, upon hearing this story, one, I'm so grateful you're still here, and we've talked about that. Just that, Thank like, you. you get to look at today and be like, dang, I'm so grateful I'm here. I feel so sorry that you've experienced what you have, and yet it's given you this version of you. So oh, there's yeah, that. A whole new lease on life. But what I think of is that I'm hearing that, and, and I have this, like, reaction within that, like, I'm uncomfortable. You know, I hear the story and I think I'm uncomfortable because I'm scared for you, you know, and I feel like, I, you know, I, I guess I feel like people will be able to relate. There will be people that will hear your story and even if it's not exactly theirs, they will be able to relate with the discomfort of their own lives, with mm-hmm. the misery that they feel for whatever reason that it is. And it may be completely and entirely different than yours, but they'll relate in some way. And I guess I'm certainly no therapist or anything like that, but this does make me think of like exposure, you know, of like, I choose to hear the story because I don't want to let discomfort keep me from acknowledging reality. And what you just described is a very real thing that tragically many people experience in some form or fashion. Uh, and I'm not interested in turning a blind eye to it and pretending like it's not there because it's very there and it really matters. It's very there. It's really mattered. And I think one of the thing, one of the reasons I'm writing the book. And thank you for being willing to walk through that again because that can't be easy for you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, that means a lot. And it's, it, one is that I've now gotten to the point where it's, it's like we talked about before, like exposure therapy. Right. Right. Like. The first time, if I told you right now, hey, you're, I'm going to put you in, a, in, a, in an F1 car and, uh, and a driving suit, and I'm going to make you drive around the track oh, yeah. at, a, at yeah. 200 miles an hour, yeah. right? Your heart rate's going to be at like 160 BPMs, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But your 10th time around the track, maybe it's at 120. Totally. Your 100th time around the track, maybe it's at 100. Your 10,000th time around the track... You're updating your Instagram, driving with your knees, touching up your makeup yeah. because this is just another day or another time around the track. Right. 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 I know if I was to sit here and like really contemplate like just how dark that was, like mm-hmm. I, you'd start seeing my bottom lip start to quiver. You'd start seeing me like have to clench my butt cheeks because I, you know, I, one of the funniest things, man, I'm telling you, I was, when I was first started telling this story to like, I do a lot of like veteran advocate outreach and uh-huh. there was a gold star mother that was one and a gold star mother is a mother whose son was killed in combat uh-huh. and she was she was speaking before me and she came up after me because like i was like kind of like getting choked up when i was telling the story yeah she's like that was beautiful i'm so proud of you we're so glad you're here she's like 
I really don't want this to sound inappropriate, but can I just give you a little piece of advice that has helped me like tremendously in public speaking about my son? And I was like, yes. <laughs> She's like, clench your butt cheeks. I was like, what? She's like, yeah, when you feel yourself, like, she's just, just like, clench your butt cheeks as hard as you can. She's like, I don't know why, but it does something to you, like, your central nervous system that, like, recalibrates it, and then you'll just take a deep breath, and you'll be okay, and you'll be allowed to continue. I shit you not, my dad died last year. So you, like, did it. I'm up there giving his eulogy, and I start to feel myself get, and, like, in the video, you see me just, like, put one foot in front of the other, and just clench my butt cheeks. (laughs) Great. A bit you, of advice was, that I had no idea was, we were going to receive today. It was one of the best pieces of public speaking insights I've ever received in my life. All right. Literally, this we just so, got a tip that we did not see coming. No. No. It was kind of crazy. Okay. Um, so I'm sorry to have paused you, but also I'm not because I did want to acknowledge that. So, yeah. So now... And I also apologize for the trigger warning you're going to have to put at the beginning. No, of I actually episode. don't care to. I actually truly don't care to. Okay, I have good. a lot of... I've got a lot of thoughts about this sort of thing right now. And yeah. like, I, I think that to some degree... I don't need to warn you. You need to be triggered. Yeah. I'm a, you know, I'm like I think big, that society today kind of needs to be jarred into reality. I am a huge believer that those who are, are, who are easily offended should be offended more often. We've got to get past that because this world is fucking scary and crazy things are going to happen, have already happened, et cetera. And so being feeling safety trap, yeah. you think it's real. It's not. So you know what? Like get uncomfortable. Well, not just that, but like, I don't know what the current stats are, but we're losing 22 veterans a day to suicide. It's Every year over, I think I've maybe mentioned too that this is not veteran specific, but year over year over year, it's do you feel more anxiety, yeah. et cetera, uh, during the holidays this year than you did last year? And those those stats are staggering. Like, it's only getting worse in between people's ears. There was, there was a statistic that came out. One of the reasons that I was able to like kind of get my book, a lot of people write books, not a lot of people are able to get published. And yep. the fact that like there was a bidding war over my book between like the different like publishing houses was an anomaly of itself. But one of the like driving factors was anxiety. There had just been a report in New York times or something where like the, the number one cause of anxiety in Americans that year was their inability to keep themselves and their families safe because like the world was, it was just like, we were just coming out of COVID. The world was just kind of coming back. Like, Everyone just didn't, just the new normal, no one was kind of certain what it was look, going to look like. Everyone was just, everyone was on pins and needles. And they kind of saw my book as, as, a, as, a, as a way for everyone to just kind of re-equalize, re-equalize their own perspective, their own outlook, their own support system to kind of help them and their families and everyone really just, you know, uh, ensure their uncertainty of safety. Yep. Okay. Yeah, you offered a tool at a time that society decided, hey, maybe that tool's not a bad idea. Right. So, sister, Naval Academy therapist. So, so Ronan is laying across my feet while I'm on, um, while I'm on TV. Ronan is your dog. Ronan is my service dog. Who also just so happens to... By the way, my dad was in the Army and he had a dog. Mm-hmm. So just so you know, he, he worked with... Uh, he was a canine... Handler? Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, he's he, we've got some cool memorabilia around oh, from so from all of that. Yeah, if you look at my 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 social media is basically dedicated to my yeah, <laughs> to but it's also the name of your brand that you make the uh, yeah. So my I have a things. company called Ronin Six. Yeah, and people are like, well, what's Ronin Six? So in the military, six is an identifier of of command. So if you're on Task Force Panther, 
the commander of Task Force Panther is his his call sign is going to be Panther Six. Yep. If you're on Task Force Eleven, the Task Force the commander of Task Force Eleven is going to be Eleven Six. Yeah. Um, so since Ronan is my own little task force and I'm mm. his handler. I'm Ronin Six, so we called the company Ronin Six. Got it. And all proceeds, all profits from Ronin Six go towards supporting uh, veterans mm -hmm. who are going through crisis or, or, or PTSD through either traditional or uh, new age therapeutic modalities. Okay. Um, okay. It's, so it's, it's not a nonprofit, but I give all the money to to either Heroic Path to Light or No Fallen Heroes or the Lone Survivor Foundation or wh whatever uh, organization. Uh, you it, decide, it, I yeah. decide on that moment to, to give money to it. Love I wanna it. I want to help as many people as possible. Yeah. Because and the other reason, kind of like talking about, you know, to circle back before, one of the reasons I'm writing the book is because when, when I was in that moment, I knew a lot of people, a lot of service members, a lot of veterans who were experiencing the same level of despair and internal trauma and torment that I was. Mm -hmm. And I knew a lot of people who had taken their life, mm -hmm. but I didn't know anyone who had come out better on the other side. Now I do. Mm -hmm. Now because, thank God, you know, the work that Hopkins is doing and, and uh, um, just there's so many people out there that are just doing just really, really great work um, to promote veterans working through PTSD, to get veterans the help they need, to help. There's a brotherhood in the community that's out here now that is just really really united and really championing and really like doing the, the real advocacy that needs to be done to get that ball from the 90 yard line to the, into the end zone mm -hmm. that we can really make real change. But my sister calls me up and she's like, hey, I just saw you on TV. That was a really good interview. She's like, are you talking to anyone? And I said, no, why? She's like, well, if you're gonna be like on TV, like telling your, your brothers in arms that like if they're not feeling okay, that's okay, but they should get the help they need. Like, don't you think you should know what that's all about? The right person said the right thing at the right time. And I was like, that's a good point. She's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in touch with someone, okay? I was like, yeah. So she puts me in touch with uh, my guy. And, um, and uh, his modality was uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. And it was kind of funny. He, the first day, we do like, it's like an intake thing, right? Yeah, and they just need the And he's just, for, so, so for anyone who's ever like met with a therapist, and let me just say something about therapy because some people are be like, oh, I've been to a therapist and they didn't help me at all. There's a lot of modalities. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of therapists. There's a lot of really shitty therapists out there. Yes. There's also some really great therapists. Yes. There's also a difference between a therapist who has a, uh, like a social work degree. There's a difference between someone who has like a master's degree. There's, someone who has a, there's a difference between someone who has a PhD. And so just understand. But like if you can find the right modality, if you can find the right therapist, and if you're willing to do the work, great things can come but like you kind of it's a sometimes it's you got to kind of work around it and i say that because when i met my guy for the first time effing hated him i did not want to work with him because we were doing the improv and he's like blowing sunshine up my ass he's he's like he's like oh my god it's so cool that you did this it's so cool you did and i was like hey dude i don't need you to tell me what i'm doing well yeah i need you to help me like what i'm not doing well yeah so i go to my sister i'm like talking about i read this book and he's like i didn't read that one i, well, I read this book but i didn't read that one either and I'm like, okay. So I go to my sister, I'm like, it's not gonna work. And she's like, why not? And I'm like, well, he didn't read this book, he didn't read this book, he's blowing sunshine up my ass, he's not, he's not like challenging me on anything. She's like, hey Spence, you know how like you, your clients are like successful, tier one talent, like celebrities, public figures, like business owners, 
but they've got that one small problem that they can't just quite figure out that they need your help with. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's him for you. And I was like, but he didn't read, he's like, eh, 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 eh. she's like, I didn't read that book. She's like, you know what I did though? I read the other 500 books that got me my PhD. So why don't you just like give the guy a chance? I was like, okay. So I go in the next week. Now I can't get a, this guy to say a goddamn thing. Right? <laughs> and so I'm over talking. I'm over sharing. Yeah. I'm just like, because I'm, I'm trying to get some kind of response out of him. Yeah. Right? And what I don't realize is that he's just letting me dig myself deeper. So it gets to the end of the session and he's like, Hey, Spencer, I'm like, yeah, that. He's like, over the past 45 minutes, you've just repeatedly told me that, like, if your clients were just honest about the underlying cause of their concern, they could solve the problem themselves. I was like, yeah. He's like, so when are you going to tell me how you actually feel instead of talking to me about how you wish you felt? Uh, and it was like, mic drop. Yeah. He's like, I'll see you next week. Right. And so what started off as intending to be like a 12 week, uh, modality turned into like a 16-week modality, turned into like a 22-week modality, and it was workbooks, and it was thought journals, and it was it was everything. Mm -hmm. But I came out the other side with this, which is why I'm writing the first book on the safety trap of relationships, because I didn't realize just how improperly framed so many of my expectations and my outlooks and my you know, just different things in my life were just improperly, uh, improperly and, and, and just, you know. Well, the frameworks my, you were given. Yeah. Weren't it was a faulty you framework. You need the to framework go. is the perfect word. I, it was a lot of faulty frameworks. Yeah. Yeah. And once I was able to see that, the way I kind of describe it is that there was like a, imagine that there's like a sheet in uh, like a, like a bed sheet in front of your face. Right? And you poke a hole about the size of a quarter through that bed sheet. Right? That was my aperture mm -hmm. for how I viewed the world. And I knew everything that you could see through that, through that hole, like the back of my hand, knew it perfectly well. And what CBT did for me was kind of dropped that sheet down mm. and, and exposed like the totality of the worldview. And it was like, oh, yeah. so that's, oh, oh, okay, so that, oh. This would have been great like 25 years ago. Yeah, when I was like, making messes, making wreckage was, in my own life right, and other people's right. lives. It was just like, wow. Yeah. Well, I think it's incredibly. So, CBT, I'm going to be full. You know, I, I always want to be super transparent and that, like, I've done some therapy work. I have not done CBT. There's so many things that I'm. I want to do, uh, I actually did speak about this on your episode or on the podcast I did on the episode that I did on your podcast, how I said like, Hey, listen, there was a recent occurrence for me in my personal life where mm -hmm. I was like, Hey, something's really wrong. And I don't know what's wrong. And my dad's like, you need to go back to therapy, sweetie. There's more. And I'm like, uh, okay, you're probably right. I have no idea what it is. And that was what was so hard in that experience for me. And this, mm -hmm. we're talking a month ago. It was what was so hard was I to make the phone call to say something's wrong because I had no words to be able to explain why I felt that something was wrong. And it was, I need to do more therapeutic work. I don't know. Right. And I need to work harder on this thing, willing to do the work. Right. I don't, I don't, I'm not eager about this idea. I'm not looking forward to it, but I'm also unwilling to just let this thing. So thinking about the frameworks thing, it just makes me think about literally as children, as adolescents, et cetera, like you're given this frameworks for life, uh, that like you didn't design it and you don't have any control over it at all. And then you carry it into your adult life 
and you make messes and cause yourself so much struggle because of your behaviors that were taught to you that you had no autonomy over in your adolescence. So then to come into your adult years and be able to gain more awareness and go, wait a second, there's just so much more here that I don't even know about. And maybe I totally disagree with what I originally thought to be fact. Yeah. And, and again, I'm also not a psychologist. Yeah. So, but yeah, we're just one of the things having a conversation. Like, the way I understood like certain dynamics is like when you're a child and you know, you're living a happy life and then something adverse happens, you really only have two choices like at that, you know, four through 10 age range, which is like, well, either the world's wrong or I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Either the world's broken or I'm broken. And we just can't fathom that the world is broken. So it's got to be us. Totally. Right. And then we just kind of carry that with us. And that just that story we tell ourselves really informs our outlook. It informs our decision making. It informs our mood. It informs our mood will then revert back to our decision making. And if you believe that you're broken, if you or even maybe broken feels a little too soft or whatever, you know, if you believe that you're wrong, whatever, then how are you supposed to trust yourself? And I, I don't, that's an interesting one for me through the journey that I've been on at this time is like identifying maybe where some of these things could have started personally Mm -hmm. of, well, it's my fault. The narrative was always, it's my fault. And so if it's my fault, then it's not on, you know, anybody else. And so while that has given me some character assets of taking personal responsibility for many things, I also tried to own things that I shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's interesting. You try to use other th- outside things as validation for your own, your own self-worth. You start like... Yeah, and then you just, I mean, like, you've got to, if you, if you truly somewhere de- deep down, and it's really hard to identify it, I, like I said, I, we're in the thick of it, right? But, like, if you don't feel as though you have the capacity to trust self, how do you trust the world around you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be really difficult. Like, a, you don't, right? Uh, so, okay, anyway. So that was... I kind of just explained, like, so that understanding of the misrepresentations and the faulty framework and things like that, kind of, I started looking at that from, like, a safety perspective, uh, from a relationship dynamic. So, like, one of the things I talk about in the book is, did I ever share with you my, the spare tire theory on relationships? No. So, my spare tire theory on relationships is, you're with someone, right, and something happens, and you know that that's going to be, that, that's, it's just not right. It's probably going to be the end of things. But then you somehow work through it. And you're like, oh, look, like there was, a, there was an adversity. There was a chicane in the, in the road. But look, we, we got past it, right? And, and so you're moving forward with this framework that, oh, because you overcame this obstacle, you're going to be okay moving forward. And I equate that to if, if two people are in a, if you take that same modality and just apply it to someone driving down the road in a car, Mm-hmm. And then they get a flat tire, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, oh my God, like the back end like kind of like swerves and they get a pull over. But together they jack the car up. They get the, they take off the real tire. They put it in the trunk. They get the spare. They put it in the car and they let, tighten the lug bolts. They get back in their car and they're like, oh, look, look at us. We overcame the obstacle. We're good. From inside the car, the two of you, it seems like there was a problem and now you're, you're okay and you're moving forward to continue on with the relationship. Mm-hmm. But from the outside, everyone's going, yeah, that ain't going to last. 
Right. And it's the same kind of, are you willing to really audit yourself with honesty about just how bad what happened was? Or are you just going to put on the blinders and like live in the lie that you fixed the problem and everything's fine? So let me ask you, why do you feel like relationships are important? So you've identified that therapy has been a very useful tool for you. You've yes. identified that also getting a good therapist is an important detail. Yes. And that, the way that you describe that also, you know, your sister weighed in on it when you were like, well, this is not great, is kind of nice because I, I think often I've, I've been taught in recovery that like in between my own years I can get real weird. And so I have to have mm-hmm. these different people in my life uh, that, that I can, that can be a sounding board, that I can trust with information and understand the direction that I'm trying to head and can give me some feedback outside of my own. A very powerful tool for me today. Mm-hmm. Use it often, all the time. Uh, got a call later. Anyway, and so it's, it's really helpful. So... Your sister was that for you in that moment yes. to help you identify whether this was a good one or not. So you've figured out, all right, therapy with a good therapist, doing different techniques, useful tool. Great. I'm learning things. I now identify that there, it's going to be useful for me in relationships. So then I want to know why are relationships even important to you? Why do you deem it worth the endeavor if you're going to have to do the work and it's not going to be fun, it's going to be hard, but it's going to be useful to you in relationship? Why? Because what, and I'll use I statements, I realize, I mean, I'm 47 years old, I've never been married, I don't have kids. So is that your niece? That's my niece. Okay, got it. That's what I thought, I just, okay. Which is, I I always do the hashtag, how to be an awesome uncle. Yes. So that there's no. Okay, I did did know that, but either way. She's adorable. Okay, keep going. My niece and my nephew are my life's joy. And in fact, my, the oldest of my three younger sisters, um, I was going off to do a, um, a veteran-assisted uh, uh, treatment center, and my sister called me and told me that she was pregnant. And I was, I was like, I just kept saying, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. But what I was really saying was how happy I was for me. Yeah. Because for the first time, I received really good news about a future event that I knew I was going to absolutely be around to experience. Yeah. Because whereas before I've been like, oh, that's great. Because I don't know if I'm going to be here to experience it. Right. Right. Because I just didn't know from one day to the next, like if that was going to be the day that I took myself out. And having come out the other side of having this new lease on life, having this new perspective, having this new outlook Mm -hmm. was, that was the first time where I realized just how beautiful life is and getting back to like why are relationships important not just interpersonal relationships but our relationships to money our relationships to religion our relationships to politics our relationships to all of those things that kind of influence who we are as an individual Mm -hmm. and how stringent are those relationships that when they're challenged we it's not a challenge against uh, an idea. It's not a challenge against a concept. It's not a challenge against a, a perspective. We take it as a challenge against us as an individual. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I always ask when I, when I end my podcast, when was the last time like, you changed your mind about something? Because I want to see just how, like where someone is on the spectrum of, of being willing to learn how to learn. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, believe, like, one of my all-time favorite Anthony Bourdain quotes is 
whenever I'm asked my opinion or whenever I'm asked a question, I, I speak with authority and, and, and uh, from, a, from a position of power, while also at the same time realizing that it's, uh, it's very possible, in, in fact, very likely that I'm full of shit. Yeah. Right? So it's like, yes, I'm, I, I, I absolutely think I'm right, and I'm going to write, and oh, you just said something, and guess what? I must be wearing orthopedic shoes because I stand corrected. Yeah. When was the last time that you changed your mind? The last time I changed my mind, I changed my mind daily. Um, I changed my mind most recently. Um, I'll give you a perfect example. I was flying from... Uh, from Austin to Nashville, and then flew from Nashville to uh, DC, had a couple meetings in DC, then took an Uber from uh, DC to um, uh, Annapolis to, okay. to visit my sister. I get out of the Uber, and the Uber driver's like, hey, you got everything, you got your phone? I was like, yep, got my phone, got my wallet, and went, F, where's my wallet? Don't have my wallet. So I'm like looking under the seat, looking under the, looking under the chair, and I say, it's nowhere, right? And now I'm livid. Because yeah. like it's got my driver's license, it's got my security license, it's got Ronan's service dog license, it's got my my uh, concealed weapons license, it's got my credit cards, my bank card, like my life is in that wallet, right? And I walk inside, and I'm just like, I'm pissed, because like in my head I have zero expectation that the incompetence that the rest of the world is is providing, there's no way I'm getting that wallet back, and my sister just like pops online and goes on American Airlines and do, 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 do. and uh, with like in 20 minutes later, like they, they go, oh yep, someone found it on the next flight, they turned it in, we're, we're mailing it back to you via FedEx. Oh. And I was just like, wow, why was my default setting that the rest of the world is incompetent, that they, there's, I just have to write this off as a loss and it's my own fault and blah, blah, blah. I was like, I should really like work more on giving people a, like giving people the benefit of the doubt. Like, as much as I will, as much as I like promote and champion, like expect the worst but hope for the best. Like, why was I expecting the worst without hoping for the best? Right. Like, you can do both. Right. And I was just like, wow, that's like that's really something for all. And listen, I am a work in progress. I am, I am a, a you know a baby steps to greatness guy. Yeah. And that was something where I was like, oh, that's really something I need to to work on. That's that's a that's a perspective shift that I need to you know, really pivot so mm -hmm. that I'm, I'm, for all the, of the, the, uh, work I've done, mm -hmm. there's still work to be done. Yeah. And that was one of them. That's cool. That's cool. I don't know why that makes me think of this like prayer that I say a lot, that it's like, you know, asking to just like set aside everything that I think that I know. What's the prayer? Uh, it's called the set aside prayer. Okay. Yeah. And it's a great one. It's just, you know, help me to set aside everything that I think that I know about mm -hmm. myself, about you, about whatever, so that I may have an open mind and a new experience. I love that. It's great. It's quite useful, especially whenever events in life don't go the way that you thought that they would, which is probably for most individuals in some way, shape or form, an everyday occurrence. And so because we don't control other humans and we don't control many factors of life. And so just being able to go, yeah, maybe I'll just try to have an open mind to this thing and just... You know, I think yeah. it's, I quite enjoy that one. That's yet again, all of any of that stuff is stuff that's been taught to me. And I'm right. like, oh, thank, so you, thank the, you for this tool. I really love that a lot. I need to look that up. Yeah. So that's, that's how the, so those, that story basically helps to frame the, uh, like the safety side of relationships and how misconceptions and how, um, whether it's, you know, 
why do we get in why do we trauma bond why are we in codependent relationships why are we like doing all of these things that can kind of like set us up for like um not having like properly framed boundaries not having like, all of those things because safety isn't just doors and locks and guards and protection details and you know bulletproof windows and things like that like safety ultimately is a mindset it's an outlook it's a perspective and if you can properly frame your your role in how you're piloting your own navigation you know when those two when those two roads diverge in yonder wood like which one what this is how how are you how is your experience and your outlook going to inform you making the correct decision mm -hmm. because are you making decisions based on emotion are you making those emotion are you making those decisions based on logic are you making those decisions based on um on pattern recognition or historic trauma or generational trauma or one well, for some reason what comes up for me is fear or faith are you making those decisions from yeah. a place of fear or are you making those decisions from a place of faith yeah i don't know i like that yeah there may be a fear and faith chapter. It's very challenging to me because I, I know I have like, I'm, I got this mixed bag with fear, you know, cause I'm like, all right, I'm going to look at you and I'm going to see that you're over there. All right. I get it. You're there. And also F you, you know, like mm -hmm. I want to be a person who lives by faith. So anyway, it's just a fun. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah, it's, it's just a, there's a very real, um, and especially just like coming from my own, um, from my own vantage point, like, for example, like I never, um, so in watching all those TV shows when I was a kid, mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. About, uh, protectors, the, the James Bond and the mission impossibles and the Lone Rangers and the A team and all those things, right? all of those guys, all those protectors didn't have a significant, uh, partner in their life, right? They, they weren't married, they didn't have a girlfriend, they didn't have someone at home who loved Love them that wolf. they returned to because they were either avenging the death of their loved one or they couldn't do that job as a protector if they had someone that was at home waiting for them, right? Because they couldn't take those risks, they couldn't do that job, they couldn't be away, they couldn't be traveling, they couldn't you know, put themselves out there to those in need if someone at home was like, you know, hey, gotta be home by, you know, in time for dinner. Mm -hmm. And so I had this duality in my head of my grandfather's telling me I've got to be a protector. That's my role. That's my function. That's my purpose in life. Mm -hmm. And then my mother telling me just how perfect my grandparents' marriage was, right? Because they were, you know, she was the most beautiful woman in Gloucester and they did all these things together. But I was seeing my grandparents for like, you know, 90 minutes every other week. And they were already in the twilight of their life. So I never saw them fight. They were all, every time I was over there, they were doting on me. So in my head, little 10-year-old Spencer's head, it was like, if you're going to be a protector, you can't have anyone. But if you are going to have someone, it's got to be this. Because if you see them fighting, it's going to end like your parents, and you know how that ends. So I had like mastered the 90-day relationship. It was like, we're going to be together. It's going to be the honeymoon phase. Oh, we're fighting. Boom, I know how this ends. I got to go. Yeah. And I sabotaged like so many what could have possibly been like beautiful relationships because I just had this improperly framed expectation totally. of how things should go. Totally. I love this so much. Trust me. I, we, oh, this is great. We were like talking about a little, we touched briefly on this in your, in the podcast we mm -hmm. did on yours because you, you're asking me questions. I'm like, bro, I'm in the thick of it. I don't think I'm not a subject matter expert and I probably shouldn't talk about it, you know, <laughs> but, but 
very much so my brain is going heavily towards like, okay, no, wait a second. To do relationship, whether it's with your mother or with a significant other or whatever, like expect it to be work. Expect it to be hard. And then if my expectation is that this is going to come with challenge regularly, then when challenge shows up, I'm not, you know, and mind you, of course, like then we have to take a look at all the, you know, like is this something I should stick around for, blah, blah, whatever. But I love that, like it all comes back to this proactivity versus reactivity for me, you know, of, of if I've hopefully been proactive and patient at the start, cause of course I, you know, like these are things I'm thinking about right now in this chapter of life of like, I don't yet have a partner do desire to do that thing, have tremendous curiosity for what I hope to do, you know? And so how can I be proactive in these, or, you know, in these planning stages yeah. or whatever yeah. of like, okay, I want to be able to anticipate that something worthwhile is going to be hard so that when it's hard, I'm not like, you know, it's mm-hmm. just, uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun topic to think about. It's a really fun topic. And like, and one of the other things that like therapy has really helped me to understand is the, as I am like manifesting who I want my partner to be, it's now that I am in a healthy place and now that I am in a, in a successful place and now that I am uh, confident and secure in who I am, yeah. I am, I care more about how that partner makes me feel and what they bring to the table versus are they like a trophy person that validates the success that I think I didn't quite achieve yet, mm-hmm. right? And so it's, it's, it's an interesting introspection on what you think you want versus what you actually need and it's it's a beautiful thing to realize yeah yeah whoo this is my brain's just going you know because <laughs> there's just so many pattern behavior things that yeah. come up for me i'm like okay so you previously really enjoyed being love bombed and i know that's a very popular term these days and but like it's a it checks you know and so what if instead and this is largely inspired by my spiritual life today but like what if instead maybe you just have a bit of patience and that's really effing hard and i'm not going to pretend for a moment to have that sorted out perfectly but nonetheless to just be able to go like what if you just chill the heck out and like observe something for a period of time. And that's kind of what I've been doing. Use a bit of logic yeah. instead of getting so confused by your emotions, which will mm-hmm. lead you every which direction. Sit down. <laughs> yeah. And then when you do think you find someone, like take it slow. Like one yeah. of the things I really love, like we talk about uh, um, like Cody, one of her big things is like, my ma- like it's a business decision. Like yes. where, like, is it a net, po- like, you have to have KPIs, you have to have, like, yeah, you can have passion, and you can have great sex, and you can have, you can have, um, you know, the, the, you know, these, these, this great, like, travel partner Romance, to do the whatever. world with, but, mm-hmm. like, at the end of the day, like, is that a net positive? Yeah. Or, or a negative? Totally. Like, what, what are you guys, are you, what are you working towards together and individually, and how do those things, like, complement each other? Like, mm-hmm. I, I tell you right now, from the time I start dating someone, we're implementing the team, the team dynamic. Yeah. Because I think that is shout out Cody. Brilliant. Yeah. And I just like, and Cody was also the first person that I that like talked to me about doing like couples therapy like before you get married yes. or while you're married or yes. like bef- because like that kind of work, that kind of dedication, 
Like, if you really, like, going back to, I'll, I'll use I statements, like, I re why the relationship thing was so important to me was, like, I realized that I have gone as, as far as I can alone. And if I want to go any further, I need to find someone with whom we can go together. Mm -hmm. Because if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yep. And I've gone as Bars. fast and as far as I can go alone. I will say this reminds me, one, we've been talking about Cody Sanchez. So for anyone who wasn't clear, we're referring to Cody Sanchez, who is a mutual friend of ours, who was an amazing human and her significant other. They just, they're wonderful. Uh, also, you might enjoy the most recent podcast episode of my podcast, Shameless Plug, but it comes up as a great resource of uh, a gentleman named Craig, Craig Bongelli. I can send it to you after this, but he, we talked about because he's married and I, and I pay attention to, you know, I've got a couple of other friends, Taylor and Lane, who they're younger than I am, but they're married. They've been together for nearly a decade now. And I ask them a lot of questions. They're probably one of my primary resources for relationship advice stuff because I have tremendous respect for the way in which they navigate theirs. And so I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to ask y'all a lot of questions because you seem to prioritize this thing and seem to be doing relatively well with it. Why would I not try to glean a bit of information from you? So Craig married speaks He's, you would enjoy him. He's very masculine, but also you know, he's very direct. Uh, he's, he's awesome. Anyway, he moved here from Canada recently. Like now I'm like, you guys need to be friends actually. <laughs> uh, fascinating human. Anyway, he speaks about his partnership in such a way that he's just like this version of me that's here now was never going to be accessible to me mm -hmm. until Carrie showed up mm -hmm. until Carrie became a part of my life in the capacity that she is today there was no option for this version of Craig right and so and I just like I I think that's so cool oh and Herbozzi says the same thing about Layla right right it's right. like it's like you know it's it's teamwork makes the dream work it's, yeah. it's how how it's but for me it's I just wasn't ready yeah I just I couldn't get out of my own way I right. just didn't love myself enough to allow myself to be loved and the fact that I just didn't um I think one of the reasons that I became like such a good protector is because even on those days where like I didn't want to kill myself, I'd be like, it's okay if I die saving someone else, right? It's okay if I lay my, if that's, that's honorable, right? That's actually like, best case scenario. Yeah. 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 Oh God. I, yeah, I, I, every it's, so every year I go out and lay wreaths <clears throat> down at Arlington Cemetery. I've done it for the past couple of years. And in the past like three years, my nephew has come with me. Mm. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to witness. It's because we have this thing where it's like, we honor the fallen, we, we teach the younger generation the, the meaning of sacrifice and remember the sacrifice of those who made the ultimate sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And I used to think like, like the, on the one hand, it's like, I accepted my own fate in combat that like I was already dead. So I was able to take greater risks than I would have otherwise. Um, but then like, and I, and I got this like in therapy too, like I was living my life. So up and right, taking all these chances, taking all these risks because my brothers in arms who, who, who had died weren't around to live that life. And so I wanted them to like live vicariously through me. And my guy's like, so when did they ask you for that? 
And I was like, what? He's like, when did they tell you that if they died, they wanted this from you? I was like, never. He's like, right, where do men win glory? And I was like, on the battlefield. He's like, they got theirs. They're happy. You don't think that they want you to be happy? And I'm like, oh. I started like yeah. bawling. And I was at Arlington on Saturday and just like looking around at like all the graves that are there of all those people that made that sacrifice. And then like looking at my nephew and like clenching butt cheeks. <laughs> um, it was, if I had done it two years ago, whatever, and I was up in heaven looking down. Had you committed so, suicide. Right. I would have been so effing pissed at myself. Yeah. Because I would have seen what that possible timeline, what it could have been with me and my nephew there then. Yep. And it was just like, fuck. Like, thank God. Well, and I think that what this speaks to is there should be a sense of urgency behind this. If anything, you're speaking to the reality that you were not going to continue to make it on this planet in the situation that you were in. Right. And you needed to pick up that tool and use that tool yes. in order to get you to a place today where you've been able to say it's been multiple years since I've had these ideations and I have a totally different outlook on life. And, and so to me, you know, that's actually funny. The very first podcast, because Eric Craig's been on twice. And the first mm. one is he, he calls it, I love it. He's like, he looks at all these people in life. He's like, you're just peeing on the page. You get one option or yeah. you get one chance at this thing and you're just peeing on the page. And he's speaking more to people, you know, being complacent in general, not necessarily this, but uh, that one that is titled you're running out of time. Because when we wrapped that episode, I said, is there anything you want to tell people? I said, you're running out of time. What are you doing? Yes. You know? And so I, I love that ultimately what you're saying there is like, quit. Like, what are you waiting for to help yourself so that you can enjoy your life and be of service to the people that you love. Yeah. I also wouldn't be able to experience this effing awesome coffee that you gave me <laughs> when I got it because it, this is crack. This it's is so crack good. coffee. It's, it's so, so good. good. I know. Okay. All right. We are we are definitely a little bit over on what we typically go, but this has been awesome and it's great. I even have other stuff I was going to ask you. Well, like uh, Actually, a lot of other stuff, but this is, we're wrapping here. Okay. So I do, I can just ask you that stuff later. And I can <laughs> um so I want to know what are three things that you know how you have your five. Mine's mm -hmm. pretty simple. Okay. What are your three things that you're grateful for today? Uh, today I am very grateful for um, my family who no matter what, every time we get together, it's just a joy. And I almost had to cancel on Friday and my sister was like, you're going to hit yourself if you, if you miss this. And she was absolutely right. And I wound up having to like stay up all night, one night, just to get this project out so that I could make the flight. And if you look at my Instagram, you, you'll see this light in my eyes. Yep. Like when, I, when I'm with my niece and nephew, they are the pride and joy of my life. Mm -hmm. And I love them so much. Mm -hmm. And I'm forever grateful uh, uh, for them. Mm -hmm. I am grateful for you and for the opportunity to share my story in hopes that if it even helps one person mm -hmm. having a bad day or a dark day, to just know that no matter how dark your day has been, mm -hmm. that the light is winning. Mm -hmm. The light is winning. Believe mm -hmm. me. The light is winning. Just like you are not out of the fight. Don't quit. Yeah. And um, I, am, I am grateful for whatever tomorrow brings. Yeah. Because I, I, it, it's so funny. I, I lived with like suicidal ideation for so long. And now it is like such a, a what, 
that's not even a possibility. Yeah. Like it's so that that like I just can't wait for because even even when I really worked hard for something, really wanted something, and it just didn't go my way, uh-huh. it was because something bigger, better, brighter was waiting for me just around the corner. Mm-hmm. And as as great as my life is going, like I know there's still so much runway ahead of me, mm-hmm. and I just can't wait for what the future will reveal. I love it. Those are solid. You done good. Thank you. Uh, okay, so my three gratitudes today. Uh, first one is going to be simply that you're still here. I am grateful that you're still here knowing that that's the path that you had to walk to get to this point. And now you get to look and go stoked about the future. Want to be here for it all Mm -hmm. is, uh, I can say this in some foofy way, but ultimately like there's actually a tremendous amount of gravity behind a statement like that. Like that means a lot. Uh, so I'm very grateful that you're still here. I'm very grateful that, you know what? We're just going to, we're going to make two of my gratitudes about you. Uh, my other gratitude is going to just simply be for your time today. Uh, your time is incredibly valuable and the chose the, the fact that you chose to prioritize coming and doing this means a lot to me. And so the third thing I'm grateful for is written word books, physical books. There's something about reading physical books. That's just like, it's just a cheat code for life. It's so cool. I didn't start to read physical, but I, I, you, I don't know how much you, I didn't really go to school much and I didn't read much. And it wasn't until I got sober, not that long ago, you know, Mm -hmm. two to three years ago, two years, seven months and some change. I don't know, whatever, eight months. Anyway, that I started to actually, it wasn't until a little bit later after that, that I started to read books. And one cool thing about that is that you do it for long enough and you get better at it, which is cool. So I read faster now, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Anyway, it's been a beautiful thing to be able to enjoy physical books. So kind of random, but that's one I'm very grateful for today. So uh, excited to read yours. So, okay. Uh, the show notes will have the, in the description, if you go down to the description, there will be ways in which you can follow along with Spencer. If you enjoyed this and want more of him, like I said, he has his own podcast. He's got all of these different business things going on. And so if you felt like you got good dude energy out of this, like I did, uh, then go down there and find him there where you can connect with him and follow along. And, um, I have to ask that you follow the show. If you're still here, that you rate and review it and that you share it with somebody that you feel like it will positively impact. If you feel like you got something useful out of this, then I have to ask that you share it. And I want to note that your time is incredibly valuable as well. And so the fact that you've chosen to come spend it with us in this way means a lot to me too. So we just hope that you choose to make the choice to have a beautiful day. That's it.